welcome to Per Contra with Tijuana and Squint. Welcome back everyone to Per Contra with Tijuana and Squints. I'm Squints. With me as always is my co-host Tijuana. And today we're going to talk about some common tropes or cliches uh, or formulas that we see in popular media that we think maybe are a little overdone or not done the right way. So that'll be a really fun conversation to have. But first, I wanted to ask you, Tijuana, if you could think of a movie or a game or a TV show or something that gets a lot of excitement, a lot of hype that you feel like deserves all of that attention or something that maybe you were pleasantly surprised when you saw it because you thought it was going to be bad. Yeah, I let's see. I actually have a book in mind to that question and it's well, a series of books. It's the Wheel of Time series if you've heard of it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. It, I mean, yeah, most people have heard of it because it's a super popular series. A lot of people compare it to Lord of the Rings because it's an epic fantasy story and yeah it's just one of those like super like it can't really be considered like a cult favorite because it's so popular but it's but people are really like culty with how much they like it right and so because of that usually my experiences with those kind of things where people are like so fiercely in love with whatever they like and they always jump to defend it and don't see any flaws in it and that kind of stuff Usually those things I find not to like as much as them because, sure. you know, it could be nostalgia or whatever reason that they love it so much and I don't have the same experience. But yeah, for The Wheel of Time, I am not finished with it yet. But I'm three books in. I just finished the third one and it's awesome. It's such an a well-built world and there's so many techniques in the writing that like I haven't seen anywhere else that just really made me fall in love with the characters and relate to them. And um, I can't really think of another book series that has characters that are so fleshed out. Like you could name any character in the book and I could tell you a ton about them. Um, it doesn't really feel like there's any like real like side characters that are just there for plot purposes or whatever. And um, yeah, I could go on and on about how much I like it, but I guess the point is that I definitely went into it thinking like this can't be as good as everyone says and I would even say now after reading a few of the books I would even say it's underrated now. Oh wow. Like, okay. Like it's one of the best book series so far that I've ever read. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear and you're not the first person to tell me that that is really good, but it's it's good to hear that it is worthy of all the attention and praise that it gets. Right, yeah, because like I said, it it feels like that's not too common anymore, but I'm I'm glad that all those people said that they love it because they finally convinced me to read it and I'm really glad I did. So, awesome. Way cool. So, mine is a movie. I definitely don't read as much as I should, so I watch a lot of movies instead. My movie is actually the new Christopher Nolan movie Tenet. I yeah. I wasn't expecting to love it when I went into it. And I've heard, I don't know if you've heard much about it, but it's its like a, a time travel centric movie. And I've heard that it's really hard to follow, really confusing. And I've heard from a lot of people that they've had to watch it multiple times before they felt like they really had a grasp on it. Mm -hmm. And so I was expecting to go in and just be confused and frustrated the whole time. But it's really, really good. And it definitely deserves all of the attention that it got when it came out. I don't think it's talked about enough now. I will agree that you need to watch it a couple times. I'm going to go back and rewatch it one or two more times just because it is, I would consider it like a really smart movie. There are lots of nuanced things and you really have to adjust how you're viewing things and how you're thinking about things to follow all of the time travel stuff because it's a very fresh take on time travel, which I was also really pleased with. Mm. But it's good from the performances to the set pieces the color palette the concept the action in it is really good it doesn't feel like a two plus hour movie i thought 
My only problem is that the voices are kind of quiet compared to everything else, and they can be hard to hear. However, yeah. watch it with some subtitles, and you'll be fine. But it was really, really good. I was really, really pleasantly surprised, and I'm excited to rewatch it. So, Cool. Yeah, I actually... That was one movie that has come out pretty recently. Yeah. Um, that I was actually like somewhat interested in because that doesn't happen too often anymore. Um, you know, I've complained about all of the remakes and re-remakes and stuff late enough lately, but yeah, that was one that it seemed like a really original idea. So I'll have yeah. to check it out now that I have a ref or a, a referral to it. So yeah, it's definitely 100% original. I've never seen or heard of a time travel concept similar to this and it was one of the most exciting time travel movies i've ever watched because it wasn't just like oh you can't go back in time and talk to yourself because you'll create a paradox like there's more to it than just that like there (laughs) is with most other time travel movies you know yeah okay and so it was a lot of fun really engaging and a really high level recommendation from me i would say Cool. I'm excited to see it. Um, so that actually, if you don't mind me taking the reins, yeah. um, is kind of a nice segue into my first kind of trope that I want to talk about. And the thing that I want to say about it is I'd ra- I would rather be left wanting more information than being given way too much. Sure. And so the thing that I kind of want to talk about first is sort of needless exposition and over exposition, um, those kind of things. As a writer, you guys have probably heard me talk about this a lot. I kind of nitpick at exposition a lot. Um, so I want to preface this by saying I understand it can be really difficult, especially in, in certain situations, you kind of just have to explain things sometimes. Right. And so I don't want to necessarily there are a few things that I want to mention, but not necessarily go too deep into. Um, and then we'll go on from there. But one of the things that I want to mention is expositional sequences that with a little bit of creativity, I think can be remedied. And I guess to be a little bit nitpicky, I, I find it annoying when screenplay goes in a manner of like, the, the characters talking are telling each other things that they already know. And a lot of the times they'll even say, like, you already know this, but <laughs> fill in the blank. As you know, as you all know, right. this is happening. Right. Because they, they're having to tell their characters that already know the information so right. that you, the viewer, can have the information. Right. And so it feels a little bit like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> writer, you're in control here, you know, make a cohesive storyline so you don't have to jump into the middle of it and say, actually, the audience needs to know this, so um, even though you guys already know this, you need to talk about it still. Right. Um, and so, like I said, it's a little bit, little bit nitpicky, um, but those are, those are the kind of things that I'm talking about but don't necessarily want to jump into. But, um, yeah, now that we're on the train track, you guys understand what I'm talking about. Let's talk about uh, prologues. So, in general, <laughs> do you feel like prologues, like, do you feel like you've had a good experience with prologues? Personally, I would say 90% of the time, the prologue is completely pointless. And not because we shouldn't understand backstory or we shouldn't understand maybe the inciting event that leads into the story that we're going to follow the rest of the time we're watching this movie or this TV show or reading this book. But they're pointless because 90% of the time, in my experience, the prologue is given to you and it's this little snippet that leaves you wondering anyway. And then like halfway into the movie or halfway through season one or three quarters away through the first book, your characters meet someone who understands what happened in that prologue sequence because they were there and they explain it to the character, the main character, and you relive the prologue in more detail. Right. <laughs> and so at that point, why why were we subjected to that in the first place? One of my favorite book series, the Aragon series, the Inheritance series by Christopher Pellini, is a, 
one of like one of the biggest culprits of this in the first book we're shown this or we read through this prologue sequence where Arya is being chased through the woods and uses magic to transport this egg and then she gets captured and then it cuts to our main character hiking through the woods and then the egg appears in front of him Mm -hmm. we could have started the book there because we have just as much information without the the prologue Right. Because he still has to meet Arya later, learn who she is, because you're not told who she is, learn who captured her, because you're not told anything but that dude's name, and learn why she was running and everything with this egg. Like, you still have to learn everything. So that whole prologue was pointless. Yeah, I, and that's why I asked, is because my experience has been the same. There are some prologues that are good, and I feel like enrich the story. And because we've already talked about Wheel of Time, for those of you who've read that, uh, the prologue is an interesting one because it tells a story from like the ancient ancient fictional history of the book. Mm-hmm. It's not fictional in the book, but you know, it's fiction. The ancient history, and then you jump into the story, and it's kind of like, okay, that was random, but. And I thought it was another one of those prologues that was just like, okay, whatever. The author just felt like they needed to write a prologue. But as I've read, I've learned like that that history was like really important for me to know. And the prologue gave insights about the world, like about the magic and the stuff in the world. Right. That was kind of like intriguing and interesting to the story to like, so that as I'm reading, I'm like, okay, where is this stuff going to come into play? And... That way, when the characters discuss this thing that happened a long time ago, they don't need to be like, yeah, as you know, this happened a long time ago, and here's what happened. Oh, okay, yeah, I remember that. Okay, and, you know, the story doesn't need to skip a beat. Right. Because, uh, you know, as a person who's educated in the world, everyone knows this. And so as the reader, I can be expected to know, too, because I read the prologue. But anyways, yeah, talking about... The reason I say that is because... I, I just think that because, like, a lot of stories have these prologues or kind of first chapters that are prologue I feel like a lot of writers kind of are like, oh, that that's kind of important to do. And because my character has a backstory, I need to tell it. Yeah. And the audience really needs to know that so that they can connect with the character. And that's just not how we relate to characters as an audience. We relate to them by seeing them within their conflict by seeing how they overcome their problems, by seeing them do relatable things. You know, when you meet someone new and they tell you all about your life, their life, you can forget who they are immediately. It's it's when you're talking about things that are relevant to both of you, that's when you relate to them or when you're doing right. things together, right. making memories together. Those are the things that actually, I guess, build relationships with characters, not just... Um, being like, oh, this person's parents died. My parents died too um, when I was a kid. So we should be friends. You know? Right. It's like... Well, it, that's it's interesting that you mentioned that trope specifically because if you take the Batman versus Superman movie from a couple years ago and Batman and Superman are just like beating the ever-loving piss out of each other. And then I think Batman, he's like about to faint or something because Superman is just pummeling him. And he like in his in his stupor from being knocked around he mentions his mother's name martha and superman or maybe it's the other way around but one of them mentions martha and since both their mothers are named martha they have this like bonding moment and stop beating each other up and it's like (laughs) this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen like that that's not how that works friendships aren't made just because your moms have the same name sorry yeah (laughs) yeah so that's one specifically that i wanted to mention because i feel like it's not necessarily seen as a trope, but to me, it definitely is very tropey where, like, the movie has to begin, like, thousands of years ago, this yes. happened, and th- and yes. it's so important for this reason, you know, and, like, yeah, so. And it, it doesn't seem like a trope because, I think, because it's so commonplace, but if you consider, like, any movie or show that you start where you have this like wide shot panning over a landscape or a city and you have a character narrating something that's called a prologue if if right. the story doesn't just start 
right with our MC, right in the story, like right into what's going on currently, it's a prologue. If you have something that happens and then you get a screen where it says 10 years later, 20 years later, one week later, that was a prologue that you just watched. And so it happens all the time. Most of them, I would say, are done poorly, but I agree that there are some that are well done and it can serve a purpose and it can propel the narrative typically they're just kind of fluff though right and i'm glad you mentioned that because probably the biggest reason why i feel like the way that i do about this is because i've seen and read a lot of stories that jump right in and it's so refreshing and it feels right when i'm reading it i'm like this is how it should be because i just immediately start having experiences with the characters and um, start to like them. And then let's say some moment of tension arises where it's important to know something about them. Then I have the question, oh, I need to know this. Then, you know, you can have the flashback or you can have the explanation of what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, it's answering my questions instead of like handing me questions and being like, hey, by the way, this and um to finish off my exposition rant that's what i want to talk about is questions that like i didn't ask and i kind of saved the best for last with this one because um like an an example of this is like the midichlorians you know like the big meme (laughs) okay is this in my mind is the pinnacle of like needless exposition is like not only does it not like enrich the story at all it's not even something that like i care to know yeah, and it almost makes it worse because it's like it takes away like some something that I like had in my mind before mm-hmm. where like, you know, the the nature of Jedi was mysterious. And like, you know, it, it was almost like, well, could I be a Jedi? Who Like, who is a Jedi? You know what I'm saying? Like, what does it mean to be that? Can you become it? And you had like all these questions where it was like, I want to know. And also the presentation of it was, of course, bad. Like, yeah. Hey, why are Jedi's Jedi's? Oh, well, sit down on my knee, son, and let me tell you a story. It's like, you know, just really bad presentation, too. But the reason why this became a meme is because, like, it just was like, it just derailed the story so bad and answered something that, like, no one asked for. Right. Um, I, I would take it a step further, even, and say questions that don't need answering. Because, like you said, there was this air of mystery to like, oh, what makes a Jedi? Like some people are just born force sensitive. You never know until their abilities surface. Like that's cool. It's cool to wonder, right? It's it's cool to not know everything because it gives us as as viewers the ability to kind of fill in the blanks ourselves and not have to be right or wrong. And so it almost makes us part of the world building, makes us part of the creative process but when you find some really dumb way to explain like in an extremely finite fashion what makes a jedi you don't get that anymore i can't sit here now and be like oh is it a bloodline thing is it a generational thing is it a mutation like i don't get to wonder anymore now it it, you know it's the white blood cell count apparently i guess that makes a (laughs) jedi and that's just no fun for me (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and the other example that came to my mind was um, the legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they have, when they explain like where that, where avatars come from. Yeah. And they do it really in detail and have like a whole subplot about it. Mm-hmm. That was the hardest part of the show for me to watch because it, it like, I, personally, it, I felt like it killed the like, mystery surrounding the avatar right but i just i feel like also in general as like a general thing not just not just a personal thing it just felt super out of place like it was like okay like i guess i need to like go into the spirit realm and figure all this stuff out about the avatar and stuff it's like it's like why don't why don't you do something that's like important to like (laughs) right things that are going on in the world or something like I, i don't know i like yeah, I I always get a, a lot of backlash when I hate on Korra. But yeah, just know that it's not a terrible 
thing in general. This one's a more personal thing, but I just feel like what with what you were saying with with questions that don't that almost like shouldn't be answered. That's the biggest one to me is the avatar. It, you know, it's mysterious. It's like right. It's like what are the forces in out there in the universe that make bending possible? And it's such a mystical and kung fu art of cool things that like the the mystery behind it is what made it that way right yeah well and i this actually kind of leads into one of the the tropes that i see a lot that i really don't like when i watch the original avatar the last airbender series and then i watch legend of korra and i compare the two it's very easy to see that the original series was conceived with an end in mind and so all three of those seasons culminate into one hero's journey cycle okay yes ang and all his friends start in season one at the beginning of that cycle and they finish the hero's journey at the end of season three legend of korra when you watch it it's very, very obvious that that thought process was not there when that show was written because all four seasons have their very own distinctive separate storylines. Yes, what and that I do want to causes... mention... Sorry, go ahead. Um, just quickly before you start rolling into the next thing and um, the next topic and stuff, I, I just want to really quickly say um, I've heard this a lot. The Legend of Korra, the writers, didn't. they didn't... They didn't have a lot of time. They knew they were only, they were told they were only going to get one season. They were told they were only going to get two seasons. They were told they were only going to get this many episodes. They were told last minute that they were going to get another season, blah, 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 blah. You can still write a good story, guys. Especially if you know what you're doing. Yeah, I don't really care. Like, someone could tell me, like, you got one episode of a TV show. I'm not just going to, like, be like okay well like let's throw something together i'm gonna be like all right where's what's world is this taking place in if this episode was a part of a series how should it go a long a long enough series how should it go you know what i'm saying like this has happened before this happened to avatar the last airbender they were told a certain thing and then it had to be changed you guys are getting this amount of time oh nope you're only getting three seasons not four figure it out like and that show was great star wars was presented to become a movie um let's let's go with the let's go with the fourth episode that one seems like it's going to be like the most compelling for audiences so figure it out and And, it made it work and it's one of the largest franchises today right and it it was so good that they were like oh yeah we got to make all the rest of the movies and some more and some more and some spinoffs and some more Mm -hmm. and so if Korra was was written well enough we you know we wouldn't have had that problem so yeah and like I said, I think part of that stems from the fact that there wasn't this clear end in mind, and it leads to this really unfocused, disjointed story. And it frustrates me because there's so much potential with that show and others that could have been avoided if they looked at the show and they were like, okay, instead of just proposing, hey, let's make a spinoff and seeing what we get approved for, let's approach the committee with, okay, here's the spinoff we want to make. Here's the beginning, middle, and end of our story. How many seasons do we have to fit that in? Because then it doesn't matter what you get approved for because you can adjust your story to fit those parameters if you know where you're going. Right. If and you even don't if know said... where you're going, you can't do that. And even if they said you only got one season, then they could have been like, well, we'll just write the first act of the story that we have and then just hope for the best. Right. And then if they get approved, you pick it right back up with act two. But you had it there waiting in the wings because you planned ahead. Yes. You know, I would say that very rarely as a creator, especially of of a storytelling medium do you have the luxury of just sitting down and being like, well, let's see where this goes. Stephen King does that, and it works out for him. Sometimes he writes his stories in reverse, but it works for him because he gets to sit in his office by himself, finish a story, rework it, make sure it's polished, 
before he ever goes somewhere and is like, hey, publish this. If right. he was going places and he was like, hey, uh, if I write something, will you publish it for me? And they were like, yeah, we'll give you 600 pages. And he had no idea what he was going to do. It'd make it a <laughs> lot harder. Right. And so you got you got to plan the end game of your story. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's really, really easy to see the difference between TV shows specifically and some movie sagas where there was a clear end in mind, and they're always better. 100% of the time, are they better? And yeah, we, I, we've talked ahead. about it before. Um, like, we briefly talked about it with Harry Potter, right? But when you look at a show like Avatar, or you look at something like like Stranger Things even, the final chunk of episodes comes out this month. That's It's four seasons, that's it. And based on the way the previous seasons have gone, this end has been in mind for a while. It doesn't feel arbitrary. It doesn't feel like they're just coming up with it because they got approved for more stuff and they weren't expecting it. And that's what's made it so compelling and worth following over the many years that it's been running. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I, I agree with that 100%. I think that there's a reason why like, there's kind of some rules to... To storytelling this works and this doesn't work you can obviously break the rules and still have a good story but there are certain things that w- when you're sitting down to devote your attention to something you need to be given in-, in order to like feel like that was worth your time yes like you're making a trade-off right like all right i'm gonna pay attention to this like what what am i gonna benefit from it and feeling like you're just kind of being drug along wherever whatever is happening mm-hmm. um yeah, that's that's that definitely starts to erode at that like is it worth still sitting here feeling. So, yeah, I agree. Um, let's see here. Okay, I have another one that I want to talk about. I cannot stand when I sit down in a movie or I sit down in a TV show and I can predict who the villain is going to be based on the actors casted in whatever I'm watching. Yeah. Like, I was, um, oh, what was it? The, okay, the new James Bond movie. I knew going into the movie that there was this roster of actors. When you sit down in the movie and you're able to be like, okay, well, we know Daniel Craig is James Bond, so he's got to be the good guy. Obviously, this is the f- fifth movie. We know that his handlers are the good guys because they've been in a couple movies and they're not gonna throw some lame twist where they're suddenly the bad guy so okay by my basic powers of deduction this a-lister who i've not yet seen in the first half of the movie has to be the bad guy because he's the only a-lister i could be introduced to at this point so he has to be the bad guy and then it ruins the reveal right and i'm not saying cast b-listers for your villains necessarily but maybe find a better way to subvert expectations than just keeping them completely out of the movie until the third act like i liked the new james bond movie however it's not it's not a twist it's not a reveal if your big bad is literally not a part of the movie until they are like if if it's not obvious that someone is pulling these strings the whole time and then they appear and they're like, hey, I've been pulling the strings that you didn't know were being pulled. There's no reveal there. Does that make sense? Kind of what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, totally. I, I'm i picturing movies where the the like A-list actor is playing a character that's like supposed to be the side character. Like yeah. they're just like the secretary or whatever. Yeah. And then and you got like this no-name this playing the like the director, <laughs> department head, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, obviously that character is going to have a lot more to do with the movie, so what's it going to be? You know, yes. you're, Even yes. if you don't know like necessarily what it's going to be, you're expecting something. So when you're happens, you're like, ah, oh, there it is. And, and that totally defeats the purpose of subverting your expectations. It's, yeah. like, it's supposed to be something that like feels like a new branching path that appeared in this plot of the story instead of something that was always in your mind so yeah i definitely 
had the sentiment before. Or when you have your main character walk into a room and they're meeting a bunch of people and they meet all of these no-name actors that you've literally never seen before and then they meet like the love interest date to the gala and they're an A-lister and you're like, oh, he's the bad guy. Duh. (laughs) Because none of the other guys, like this is their first project. They've not been in Uh another movie before, but this guy has been in movies for the past 20 years and he's the only face we recognize he has to be important they're not they're not casting people like Johnny Depp or Christoph Waltz or Remy Malik to be the guy that you see for 5 seconds right? right and so when you see all these no names and then you catch a glimpse of this a lister you're like oh well i know what happens now this is going to be fun <laughs> for the next yeah. 60 minutes <laughs> right and even if it wasn't an a list actor i could tell you that the like snobby love interests date to the gala is the bad guy (laughs) right you're just like okay which one of these handshakes are they going to dwell on the longest which one do they actually have dialogue with um which one gets a close-up like Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm not a director right i'm I'm not saying i am not saying that i have a better way of doing it right i just know that there has to be a better way of doing it because i've I've sat through movies where I was surprised at the mm-hmm. end, yeah. right? Take a movie like David Fincher's Seven, for example. I don't know if you've seen that. No. So one of the best serial killer movies of all time. Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are detectives. Morgan Freeman's nearing retirement. Brad Pitt is pretty fresh into homicide detective territory. And they're investigating these strings of grisly murders with biblical overtones and like themes right okay and the whole time they're chasing this killer but we're not getting glimpses of the character the character is not calling them on the phone where you can hear their voice and be like oh i know who that is that's so and so because i recognize their distinctive voice right they even have encounters with the killer where they're running away from them and you don't get to see their face Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the movie the killer is revealed and they are a big famous person, but it wasn't like they were the only other famous person sticking out amidst all the random police officers and reporters. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. And it worked. And they didn't have to show his face, but they showed how he was involved the whole time versus being completely non-existent until suddenly he wasn't anymore. Yeah, I... And and that's the thing when you say like oh, I'm not a director I don't know how I could do it better like but you've seen it done better and you obviously right. can't do the same thing in every movie or whatever right. but but yeah I totally agree I when you were talking the the, the show that I thought of is 24 mm-hmm. they they do a really good job of making you wonder the whole time who the mole is inside the inside the intelligence agency yeah that that Jack works for the whole time. You're like, Oh, it's this guy. It's gotta be, him. Oh no, 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 no. It's this girl. It's gotta be her now. Oh wait, no, is that, guy? I don't know. And, and the reveal at the end is pretty big and they did a really good job of having the surprise bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why like a lot of shows and movies try to do it is because when it's done right, it's, it's such awesome. a big, like, Whoa, that's insane. No way. It can't be. And everyone talks about it forever afterwards. And that's the thing about the movie that everyone's talking about. And like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the Darth Vader thing. It's like, no way. He's, he's the guy's dad. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I totally agree with you and get where you're coming from. Um, It feels like one of those things that they're like, well, this is going to make us the most money, even though it's going to like maybe hurt our actual like story a little bit but we yes. don't care about that so like yeah it, it hurts a little bit because you almost want to be like not buy into it because you're like how do i avoid yeah this but it's unavoidable so well and especially when there are movies out there like you said that do it well for example the movie i always think of when i think of a movie that really threw me for a loop with its twist ending and i was like holy crap i was not expecting that but then you think about the movie and you're like, oh, I should have known. Like, there are all these things throughout the movie. 
the book of Eli reveals this twist at the end that blows your mind. And then if you watch the movie again, or if you think back on the movie and you can remember small things, they're literally every scene in the movie points to this twist ending. And I'm yeah. not going to give it away um, for those that haven't seen it because it is worth watching. But you go back and there's constant, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Like foreshadowing to this twist. They're yep. constantly hinting at it. And you miss it because you're distracted by everything else that's going on. And then it reveals it at the end. And you're like, dude, I should have known this whole time that that was coming. And they mm -hmm. subvert all of your expectations. And they totally get you. Right. And it doesn't feel out of nowhere. No. That's the best part about it. Is because it's like, ah, oh, yeah, of course. And right. that's, yeah. Right. And so yeah. my, like, my point being, it can be done a good twist ending and like I've kind of come off a tangent from predicting the bad guy to twist endings in general but like good twist endings exist and when they're done well it's so fun as a viewer to have that epiphany and have to pause the movie and freak out for a second right and I want more of that I want it to happen to me more often oh man I it's been so long since that's happened to me yeah oh yeah so, I, yeah, my point is I, I can't think of the best way it can be done, and each story is going to be different, but it can be done. And there are good ones out there. And I think it'd be actually a fun episode to talk about some of the best movies with twist endings or twists in them. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can do that later. Anyway, uh, I want to hear your next, your next trope that you want to talk about. Okay. So my next one is, like, fabricated tension. Ugh. tension that's like thrown into the movie as an extra spice yeah. at the yeah. end yeah. um sprinkles on top and it feels really uh almost annoying as a viewer um, so for everyone listening can you give us some examples of that that we can dive into um yeah so for the first example that comes to my head because we've already talked about it a little bit in a previous episode in our obi-wan episode mm -hmm. we talked about the chase scene with Princess Leia that yeah. we hated so much. Yeah. It's just such a perfect example. And I've been like thinking ever since we talked about it of all the ways that I would do it differently. And it's a good time to bring that up. Because in the show, for those of you who haven't seen it, the Princess Leia is super young in the scene. And some kidnappers find her and they have like a really hard time chasing down and catching this like 10 year old girl. And it, they, the, the scene is supposed to clearly supposed to be very tense and action packed, but because of how like unrealistic it is and forced it feels, it's very not intense at mm -hmm. all. And so I was thinking like, there's plenty of other ways to add tension to, to a story that feels organic. It doesn't have to be like, oh, we, we need some, some nice like fast paced stuff in this scene let's make it let's make it fast and and tense they could have they could have played off of the emotion of of like fear mm -hmm. like yeah. she's trapped in this situation and suddenly it's like oh crap like i've been just running away and playing my whole life i never really thought about the fact that i could just get snatched up all of a sudden this is really scary and they could make it like a slower scene where the kidnapper's slowly walking towards her and there's nothing she can do about it. And she just has to deal with the fact that she's about to be taken. Yeah. And you feel that emotion for her instead of like her just remaining defiant the whole time. Maybe she breaks down and cries like a kid would do. Right. Um, well, and I think or... too, before you go on, just really quickly, I think nowadays the expectation is to get a chase scene. The expectation is like, Oh no, are they going to capture her? I know they probably will, but I'm going to watch and pretend I I think she'll get away so I can be excited in this chase scene. Right. That's the expectation. So you can subvert expectations by just making it realistic and making it follow what the expectation should be instead of what we've been trained to expect. Yeah. It would oh, have yeah, been totally. way more intense and way scarier if she walked up on the dude and was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I came to get you. And he just snatches her. 
that's more yep. scary than that cheesy chase scene because it immediately throws you into this very scary situation of this little kid getting taken, right? Right. And so you yeah. can subvert viewer expectation just by doing the opposite of what they think should happen, even though doing that would mean doing what would happen. Does that make sense? Right. And it's almost better that way because oh, yeah. it feels like realistic in that yeah. sense. Like you said, instead of trying to force us to feel on the edge of our seat because we're, you know, hoping she'll get away, you could you could play into the fact that, you know, he could grab her like by the hair and hold her up. You know right. what I'm saying? And and then we would feel pity and right. like and that could be the reason why we're we're watching. And um yeah, I just I I think it's really important what you said um of the doing what they expect, right? Because imagine if you were in that movie that you talked about earlier where there's the A-list actor who shows up at the 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 gala with the date and you know what I'm saying it's the guy who's like obviously going to be the bad guy. Yeah. And it's like, "Oh, there's the bad guy." But then, like, the movie goes on, and he's, like, clearly being bad. And you're like, oh, okay, like, maybe he's not the bad guy. And he's like, and then eventually, like, it turns out that the guy you're expecting to be the bad guy along actually is. It's like, it's that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you would be inclined to believe, like, oh, yeah, this guy who's, like, very evil and menacing, they're making him seem like the bad guy at the beginning, but they're going to fool me. And then they just don't do that. I really like right. that idea. I it would be cool to see that in an actual movie where it's like, or maybe they like show a side character in a situation where that seems fishy, and then you're like, oh, maybe they're gonna be the bad guy. They maybe they're gonna betray the main character. Um, but it's really like, no, of course that was a coincidence. But anyways, well, and I think rambling too, on about that. Go I ahead. think too that you can create tension by dragging someone to the edge of their seat with like thrills or by pushing them to the back of their seat with fear, if that makes sense. If you consider the movie Taken, right? That's an edge of your seat thriller. He's one step behind these people that took his daughter. He's so close every single time he gets to a new um, like checkpoint, I guess you could say, you can tell that she was just there. He was so close to catching her at that time. And yeah. just Mr. And so there's all this this tension because he has to keep moving faster and faster and faster to catch her and save her versus a movie like like Hereditary, which is just disturbing and frightening. And instead of bringing you to the front of your seat, you're cowering on the back of your seat, pressing into the cushion with your pillow or your blanket, trying to get away from the horrors that you're experiencing on screen but you can create tension both ways there's no no rule saying that the only way to create exciting thrilling tension is with like a fast-paced chase sequence that's not a rule anywhere yep and so knowing when to do that when to pick those different methods I think is one of the big things that separates a good director from a bad one. And I think in the situation in Obi-Wan, it would have been better to push people to the back of their seat with the scary reality of the fact that a 10-year-old girl is not outrunning three grown men. Sorry, but that would have been more visceral, more scary, more intense, more thrilling than the chase. Yeah, and it would have made me be like more emotionally charged to be like, Come on, Obi Wan, you gotta go save her. Like, yeah, and it would have made you even bad. wonder more whether she would ever get freed, whether right. she would ever be rescued. And yeah, so, so, I agree with you. Is my point? Yeah, and that's why I wanted to mention that specifically, is because um, it's something that was fresh on our minds and readily available. But there are some other things, um, specifically uh, romance. I feel like is always an added. Uh, fabricated tension yes. subplot type of thing in a lot of shows um, because it's an easy bait for us. Right. You know, we, we, we all, it's, a, it's something we can all relate to 
And for a character that we like, we all want them to like be happy and have a good romantic relationship. And so whenever that's presented to, to the audience, it's like, oh yeah, like I hope this works out. I wonder what's gonna happen. Oh no, his, his crush is mad at him. How are they gonna fix it? And like, I guess the reason why I bring up romance is cause it's so typical for them to keep it surface level the whole time yes. and keep it predictable. Like the two main characters, they like each other, but they never talk about it and they're shy around each other or they're mean to each other because they don't want to like, for some reason, don't want to like be seen liking each other. No one really knows like why really, but that's just how it is. And then that this other like side character who's super hot comes in and then, oh, there's the jealousy. Like, and that's, another thing that we have to think about in the story and be reminded of every other scene that like oh yep she's still mad at him yeah and it's like okay that's like something that's like can be tense for sure because it's like that like sexual tension that's like oh no like what's gonna happen between these two people who like want to be together but like that i feel like that's a true trope that's just so overdone that it's like when you see it it's like all right yawn like when is this part going to be over agreed and i think it plays into also the formula of your typical romance or rom-com right you have these two single people whose lives are not great or maybe they're in relationships but then they end and then they meet or reconnect because they knew each other years ago and they're having fun and then one of them starts dating someone so it's awkward and then they break up with that person they get together, they have one fight, they break up, and then they both just change their entire personality over the next 15 minutes and get together for the end of the movie, right? <laughs> Guess what that's called, though? If you if you end your relationship after one fight, that's called a toxic relationship. And so for you to just be like, oh, well, I love them so much that I'm going to change everything about myself to go be with them at the end of the movie, that's bullcrap. It's such yeah. bullcrap. And even some of my favorite rom-coms follow that formula. Right, of the How... bad relationship yes. formula. Yeah, yes. it totally like, happens all the time. Like, I'm sorry, but you're you're telling me that these two people who knew each other as children, they realize they're in love. They're now going to they're gonna date for a couple months. They're going to have one fight over a dinner party and break up. And, you're, and they both want to be back in that relationship? Nah, dude, no. Nah. I'm sorry, but if I'm feeling like I want to break up with someone after one fight, after our only fight, or if they want to break up with me, I'm out, dude. That that shows me that this is not the right place for me to be. Wait, wait, Squints, don't spoil the plot of The Notebook. <laughs> <laughs> the Notebook, or The Time Traveler's Wife, or um, Always Be My Maybe, or 10 Things I Hate. Every rom-com, dude. Every one. Yeah. Like... With the exception of two, I can think of two that don't follow that formula that I actually like. So there's a Netflix original movie called Just Friends starring, oh, what's that dude's name? He's from Pitch Perfect, Adam Levine, stars Adam Levine and Alexandra Daddario, and 500 Days of Summer starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. Yes, In both of those... The, the main character are in this case the male lead is pursuing the girl that they're head over heels for and they're just kind of leading them on and toying with them and about three quarters of the way through the movie the main character realizes like hey this is not good for me they're obviously not interested i need to make an effort to move on and then they meet someone else and have a great relationship that that is real and that's more engaging than this fake tension in this toxic relationship. Well, yeah, and I, I think it's important, too. We talked a little bit about, like, pointless tension, like, with an unrealistic situation. And that's how many movies out there are just like what you explained, except the last quarter is instead of realizing that this is bad for me and I'm going to move on, the last quarter is finally... I convinced her to like me again. Yes. And she just does. And yay. Guess, guess what doesn't happen in real life? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the least authentic thing ever. Yeah. But for some reason, all the girls love it. 
And it's well, like, and, you guys aren't like that. <laughs> Girls are not like that. So well, don't and, act like that's cool because you don't do that. <laughs> and tell me how it's fair to the girl to just be like, hey, you are expected to change your whole mindset and, and like him just because he's wore you down. Like, that's not fair to her either. Right. And think about the message you're telling all the guys out there. It's like, if you just keep trying and just keep being creepy, then you'll get the girl eventually. She'll finally change her mind. And all the girls are expected to be like, okay, we want you, basically what this movie is telling you is we want you to friend zone someone, and if you can't find a solid relationship to stick after a couple years, convince yourself you like the guy that you friend zone that you're really not into and go with him. You'll be good. <laughs> Bullcrap. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not how it works. And it is it really that hard? to just actually write a movie that's reminiscent of real life. Like yeah. we've talked about already, it's been done. There are mm -hmm. good romances that reflect an actual healthy relationship or journey to a healthy relationship. They exist. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to talk about that for sure because I feel like it's so uncommon. Um, and I, I love the examples that you that you brought up. Um, I, cause those are great, but also I just, I also wanted to talk about the Lord of the Rings movies, Aragorn mm -hmm. and Arwen, just like the most like picture perfect relationship ever. They never like, they don't like the tension isn't fabric, like fabricated, like in the, in all the rest of these. And the thing about that is that because their relationship is authentic, um, it feels like it flows the way that it should. And the other yeah. characters that we really like and that would be really cool if they got into relationships or whatever, they aren't forced into them because they're kind of trying to save the world. Yeah, there's other stuff going on. Um, so, but the thing that I wanted to talk about is a couple things. One is that the tension is created in their relationship because of the way that the story is moving. Yes. They're external and, forces creating tension. Because right. not all tension in a relationship is caused internally by one of the people. Right. So yeah, the, there's there's things that are that are separating them. Aragorn has to go on a journey. He has to be far away. It stinks for Arwen, and she already has this stuff to worry about. Like, eventually, I'm gonna outlive him, and he's gonna die, and I'm gonna be sad. Right. So should I live forever? Should I give that up? I don't know what it's like. I'm gonna be shamed for it. I have to choose kind of between my family and. And the person I love, and it's like there's a ton of tension, and they're not even really together for, for most of the pretty series. much the entire trilogy. And still, somehow, they're able to make this awesome relationship that feels supernatural and feels like good to watch. As in, like it's like heartwarming and intense, and really pulls you into the story. And helps you learn about the characters. Yeah. Um, and then Eowyn comes along. And in a regular movie, <laughs> Aragorn would have, like, gone and dated Eowyn, and they would have had a beautiful time together. No, no, no. What would have Arwen happened... would have gotten jealous. And... What would have happened is <laughs> Eowyn would have thrown herself at Aragorn right as Arwen walked through the door. And then Arwen would have stormed off before Aragorn had the chance to be like, hey, this is not oh at all gosh. what it looks like. Yes. And then there's all this fake tension created. Yes. That's what would have happened yes. in and any other movie. that is fabricated tension. But the real tension comes when Eowyn, like, approaches the situation like a normal person would. Gets to know him a little bit. Observes him a little bit. They have a couple of cute moments together. And then he's going off to war and she's like, wait, like, shouldn't we talk about this? And then instead of like it being fake tension, you get to see some cool tension where Aragorn's like, look, this is the easy way out. If I was, you know, if I was a, a lesser person, I would take this easy way out. But we have more to fight for. And right. so do you. Right. I have more to fight for. I have a person waiting for me. You have more to fight for. You, have, you need someone who's going to be able to be around. You need someone who's, you know, you have a kingdom to look out for in the future and this thing sucks because we kind of have something here and that's creating tension for the audience but but we have a greater good to fight for and i have someone at home waiting for me so sorry and that's it 
And she's like, you know what? You're right, basically. I mean, obviously, this is all paraphrasing plus right. subtext plus thoughts that the characters were having. But at the end of the day, that's pretty much what happened. And they both respected each other the whole time. It wasn't like, oh, I'm so mad. I'm going to go to my room and slam the door because Aragorn doesn't like me. It's like, that's fabricated. Or and it doesn't have to be. Yeah, and like a healthy adult does not act that way. Like if right. if I were in your your traditional romance movie and I experienced some of the drama that is experienced in those movies, I'd be like, where am I, dude? Is there not a single mature adult anywhere in the universe <laughs> right now? Like yeah. that's just that's not how that's not how it works. That's not how people act. And so it's really refreshing, like you said, to see people act like mature adult human beings in those situations versus making everybody a bipolar, borderline, overly emotional sociopath. Because yeah. that's just not how it is. Right. Yeah, it, it doesn't... Aragorn and Arwen's relationship, it doesn't take you out of the movie and make you be like, what? This movie's weird. Like, it all of the all of the plot points in their relationship not only are part of the overarching story but also don't feel like they were added in afterwards to like spice up the tension it feels like right. it's naturally progressing so yeah, you're not taken out of the story and and yeah just like the with the other points we've made today like it's possible it's possible to make um, absolutely is uh it's possible to make a chase scene a romance relationship uh a character, a scary part. It's possible to make all these things flow within the story and be cohesive and to and to do it well. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that I mean, that's the whole the whole point of the show, right? Is it's possible to do it better and we should seek out the the media that does do it better. And so, you know, like I said, Maybe we should do episodes where we talk about some of our favorite twist endings, some of our favorite relationships, some of our favorite characters, so that you guys can see that we're not just talking out of our butts. Like, it it can be done, it has been done, and we can give you examples of instances where it has been done. Um, unfortunately, not today, because we're, we're about at our time, but the point is, they exist. Promise. 100%. I've... I've watched them and I seek them out because once you see a movie or a show that makes you feel the way a real relationship makes you feel or surprises you the way a good twist surprises you, you can't go back to the lazy bullcrap that we're all used to. You just can't. It's like it's like trying to eat at Texas Roadhouse after you've learned how to make filet mignon at home better. You just can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're, that that is a good way to put it is you you've had a taste of the the better life and and you're trying to convince everyone to come over and until they finally try it it just they just don't know so. yeah yeah <laughs> it's like that's what trying to get everyone to transition from vhs to dvd back in the day and no one wanted to and then when they realized how much better it was vhs went extinct yeah, maybe we can be maybe we can be the new DVDs. <laughs> we'll, we'll be the Blu-ray of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys for tuning in, um, and thank you for staying this long through our ramblings. It's uh, a pleasure to be able to do this and and to reach people and and to create a community around um, pushing a media to its best way. And we absolutely 100% can't do that without you guys and a, a, a force. We need a force to do this. It's not something two people can do alone. And um, we're not talking about our midichlorian count either. <laughs> no, not that kind of force. Um, but that would be helpful. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you guys want to participate, please do. And um, even if we don't change the world, at least we can uh, have some fun. So, Well, thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Give us some suggestions of what you want to hear us talk about in the future. And if you have something of your own creation that you would like our opinion on, um, let us know because we would love to help you uh, further yourself as a creator as well. But for now, 
We'll catch you next time. Thanks again. See you later.